Thanks for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome again to the Kiwi Foodcast, everyone. Today on the show, we have two very interesting guests. We have Sreshta from The Kitchen Project and Terena of The Little Plant Pantry, who is currently studying in their amazing program. Inspired by La Cucina in San Francisco, The Kitchen Project helps Auckland food entrepreneurs take their business to the next level. On the show today, we talk about what exactly The Kitchen Project is and why it was created. We talk about the tangible benefits its students receive and how a food business incubator can help us celebrate the diversity of our vibrant Auckland community. So without further ado, let's dig in everyone. Hi Terena, hi Sreshta, thank you for coming on to the show today. Thank you, thanks so much for having us Persan. Awesome. So Sreshta, tell us a little bit about what The Kitchen Project is and how did the inspiration come about? Yeah, sure. So the Kitchen Project, as you mentioned, was inspired by La Casina in San Francisco, which is an incubator program that they run for food businesses located in that region. Um, It started actually as a three-way partnership between um, three council organisations. So it's ATED, which is Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development, Panuku Development and Healthy Families So the three partners um, got together, thought this was a fantastic idea and decided we needed something like this in Auckland. Awesome. So have you personally been into food, Sreshta? Like what inspired you to start working at The Kitchen Project? Can you tell us like how you got involved with the project and... So I guess I've always loved food, yes. Um, I've been a foodie since I can remember and um, I guess it was inspired from my family. I think a lot of... Um, in I guess in Indian culture one of the main things is eating together as a family and both my mom and my grandma are amazing cooks. I know right because I know when someone asks me they're like what do you do at Diwali and I'm like well we meet and um, yeah then we eat and then they're like you know they'll ask me like oh it's my son's birthday or like a special occasion and they'll be like oh you know what's this festival about what's this celebration about I'm like oh I don't know we just like met we like took a couple of photos and then we ate and like that's the, that's always like the highlight <laughs> yes sounds sounds just like my family as well <laughs> um, yeah so I think that's where the inspiration started and then um, at university I decided to study food science um, just to kind of see where that could take me I ended up doing my master's in a program called Bioscience Enterprise, which is more about the commercialization of um, biotech and food tech. And I uh, ended up working in a dairy company, then at the University of Auckland, working with students and um, supporting their side hustles or side businesses at the time. And I, then I came across the Kitchen Project and I thought this is just a perfect synergy of my two passions, which is food and, and small business and business development. And that's when I met the team and I couldn't wait to start. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit of the history? Like when did the Kitchen Project start? Because I believe originally it was something that was just kind of piloted in West Auckland, right? And now you guys also do this in Manukau? Yes, that's right. So um, we started the program just over two years ago now, and that was when we ran our pilot in um, West Auckland in our Henderson-based location. 
Um, the pilot program was just an idea for us to trial to see whether there was an uptake for this and to make sure that we could genuinely support these food businesses. And it ended up being extremely successful. We carried on there for, for a year and um, now just, it was about six months ago, six, nine months ago that we opened up our Monaco-based location, which was um, a great achievement for us because the idea with the Kitchen Project is that we can support as many food businesses as possible in Auckland, and um, having the two locations has really allowed us to do that. Okay, and what was the kind of reasoning, was there a reasoning behind kind of starting in these two locations initially? You know, like, why not Nacho, for example? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we, I think our team, what we thought was when we looked at West and South Auckland, we realised that the local foodscape isn't really representative of the communities that live in that region. Mm. You know, there's a lot of fast food, a lot of chains, and there's not a lot of local small businesses run by people within the communities. That is true, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of just kind of fast foody stuff if I actually think about it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, on Lincoln Road, that's the majority of what you see. And similarly in South Auckland, you know, the first Krispy Kreme was here. So that's something that we really wanted to change. And the idea behind that was by if we can encourage these local businesses to integrate and grow within their communities, you know, they're committed to their communities and they want to see that growth. And um, yeah, and that's kind of how we chose those two locations and ended up growing in them too. Cool. And I think just what you've I think you've already touched upon this, but I understand that you're primarily kind of like a food incubator, but it almost seems like your secondary or even almost your primary aim is to celebrate this cultural diversity. So, I mean, why do that? You know, why not kind of just be very business focused or how does that kind of play into your, um, you know, the way the program is structured? Yeah, I think um, when what we've seen from the Kitchen Project and from the applications that come through, the businesses that really struggle and need that support tend to be the ones that don't necessarily understand the New Zealand culture and how to integrate within it well. And I think that's why our main focus has been celebrating that cultural diversity. I mean, Auckland is one of the most multicultural cities in New Zealand. And if we're not celebrating the food from those cultures, you know, we're really missing out in a way. Yeah. And I think um, that's kind of what really drove that inspiration. And through the applications that we get for the program, I mean, if you have a look at the people that we've had come through, we've had um, Bertrand Jang from Sweet and Me, who's, you know, Fiji born and... Um, has a Pacifica sweet, sweet treat kind of cafe. Then we have Carmel who makes authentic Israeli street food. Then we have Ina from the Cook Islands who cooks with ruko or taro leaves. Um, so it's just the amazing diversity that's actually available and, and that's what we've seen through the applications that have come through as well. And yeah. I think that's what's representative of the program. And I think, I mean, that's really interesting and is like almost an evolution that's happened in the Auckland food scene, which is amazing to see because... I left New Zealand back in, I think, 2010. And uh, back then, I just remember the only thing, I mean, one way you could eat in these communities primarily was like at the food court in the mall. Mm. And even if you ate there, the kind of cultural food, like your Indian or the Chinese, it was just so, I won't say, I wouldn't say bad, like it was fine. I mean, when I moved back to India, in fact, I called my mom and I was like, I'm missing New Zealand butter chicken. Uh. <laughs> so I was like, it's just, it's got such a unique taste. Nothing in India actually tastes like New Zealand butter chicken. But because I'd had it for so long, I was, I was actually missing it. But I mean, that's the point. Like, it was just so far away mm. from what the authentic food was. And I get 
that you sometimes have to change spice levels mm. and change the flavor to suit the kind of local people and your local customer base. But there's a problem when you're kind of completely changing the cuisine. And it's good to see that that's kind of evolved and changed. Mm -hmm. I find that restaurants I go to now, they're kind of more confident in the food that they're serving. It's kind of like, no, this is the way you need yeah. to eat it. And it's it's really amazing to see this evolution. And the way I see it is that the work you guys are doing is, you know, serving to kind of promote this evolution and, and inform people about the all the other diversity mm. that's actually still out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think now we've seen so many new cultures that, you know, are integrated in New Zealand and Auckland and that's that's made it so much easier for these food businesses, you know, to integrate within the community as well. And that's amazing. It's fantastic. Okay. Well, so someone's been really silent on the show. So <laughs> we do actually have Terena here as well with us. And I'm sorry I've been ignoring you for like mm -hmm. the first five minutes. But um, welcome. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, have you always loved food? Do you have any early food memories that you want to share with us? Hi. <laughs> yes, um, I've always loved food and cooking. Um, I'm a wife and mum of three and I've worked in the FMCG industry um, at Turners and Growers and Series Organics. So in 2010, when my daughter Layla turned one, she developed really severe allergies like um, asthma and eczema. And I was intrigued to look into whether her nutrition was playing a part on her health. Yep. So this led me to study at South Pacific College of Natural Medicine. I did some papers on nutrition, natural therapies, um, and experimented with elimination diets, um, organic food, herbs, natural balms, things like that. So um, alongside the conventional medicine we were using, by the time she was sort of three or four, we had it under control. Okay. So anyway, um, a big thing was the treats, the chocolates and desserts, namely, that she was really missing because yeah. we were avoiding dairy and sugar. So that's when I started making raw slices mm. and I just kind of fell in love with raw baking from there. Um, I've never really stopped. So my earliest um, memory... I'd say was definitely my nana. She had a huge garden and lots of fruit trees and was very self-sufficient. So um, I used to watch her making up plum jams and pickling things and she kept them in a cellar under the house. So awesome. yeah. Yeah, I made my first pickle in the lockdown. Oh, did you? Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, I feel like my granny. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, I'm, look at me, I'm making a pickle. Like, I made jams before, but mm. you know, jams have kind of come back and are cool. Yeah. But the kind of pickling um, is still kind of something that, I don't Old know, you school. only envision yeah. your grandmother doing. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where did you hear about the kitchen project and what made you kind of want to join? Um, I basically... A, a friend of mine, um, somebody I met from my area, she lives in the Franklin area, Tammy Portney. Mm -hmm. So she used to work for Healthy, Fa Healthy Families as well. Oh, okay. um, and now she's with The Generator, which is run by MSD. Um, and they have a really great Facebook group for sort of like small businesses to... Um, I guess mm. just chat and talk about um, where they're going and oh, they offer really grants. Nice. Okay. So um, she advertised it in there and I was like, hey, I love doing this and I don't really know how to move forward with it. So why don't I put an application in and see what happens? So yeah. Awesome. And I think 
I mean, when we talk about small businesses, that's the key challenge, right? Like, yeah. um, you might be really good at doing something and you know you want to commercialize it, but how do you take that next step? That's right. I mean, I know that I have something that I've been thinking about and wanting to do. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 go, go to the Auckland Council website and like figure it out. And I'm like, dude, there's like 35 pages I there. I know. And I've read everything and I still can't figure it yeah, out. Exactly. So like, is there something wrong with me? Like, yeah. You know? So no, there's definitely not. <laughs> you need Auckland Council. Are you hearing? You need to clean up your web pages. <laughs> no, but the whole point is that I think it's, it's so confusing and you almost need someone to just kind of take your hand and be like, That's yeah, right. this is how you do it. Yeah. And, you know, oh, you need a bottle supplier. Here's the person you go to. Yeah. You yeah. need this. Here's the person to go to. Um, and I think especially more so for the communities that you guys are working in, Stretched Up, because like you said, a lot of the people that you end up working with have moved to New Zealand. They don't have those inbuilt networks or roots there where, you know, oh, my friend's father does X, Y, Z. Like we don't know anyone. So it's kind of almost doubly hard to build up that initial mm. network of support. Exactly. Yes. It's one of the main reasons why we've set up the program. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so how far along in the program are you, Terena? And have you already kind of started to see some change from when you started? Um, has there been something that you've learned along the way that you've already implemented into your business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically the little plant pantry was born at the Kitchen Project. Um, when I applied, I had no business plan, no idea how to make one. Um, I just knew I wanted to give it a go. Selling my food is something I've always talked about, so I just didn't know where to begin. Yeah. So basically the Kitchen Project has been amazing. I've learned how to set up a business properly, um, the different modes of running a business, um, how to create a food control plan, um, marketing, pricing, literally everything. Um, in 25, uh, 26 weeks, I've gone from like a stay-at-home mum who loves to cook to a business owner. So it's been really exciting. Oh, that's, that's really amazing. So um, I think... Another barrier to entering, especially um, in a city, I mean, in a country like New Zealand, is the actual kitchen part, right? Like, I mean, I think mm. there's been great change happened in that space where at least you're now allowed to kind of run your kitchen from home, which is not something that you could do before. So the barrier has come down, but there's still... I mean, you may have challenges. You may not be able to work from home. Like, I have two young kids. I can't imagine, like, also cooking or, yeah. like, kind of doing catering or something like that from my home kitchen. So I think one of the biggest things that you guys are also addressing at the Kitchen Project is the fact that you enable this access to commercial kitchens. So can you tell us a little bit about how that happens, what your commercial kitchen setup is, and... Is that why people come to the program? What's your sense from having kind of spoken to all these entrepreneurs, Rishta? Why are they coming? Is it the kitchen or is it something else? What what I found um, through chatting to the people that have come into to the program and, and how they've found us is a lot of them actually have exactly, as you've said, Googled, where can I find a commercial kitchen mm. in Auckland? You know, commercial kitchens, Auckland cheap. Because yeah. I think that's the other big one. It's quite expensive. So. Yeah. Um, so that was def that's definitely a big barrier to entry for a lot of people. And it's not just, um, you know, the inability to operate from your home kitchen. It's also that inability to scale from your home kitchen. Yeah. And that's what a commercial kitchen allows you to do. 
Um, so in both of our West and South Auckland setups, we do have um, commercial kitchens available. And um, and does this come with all the equipment inside? Like, yeah. yeah. So we in in our commercial kitchens, yes, we do we do offer all the equipment that's needed to scale up. So that's from small small sort of appliance equipment yep. to like your large size ovens and things to to scale yeah. your products. And that's in both of our locations. In our Monaco location, we have two little containers, actually. They're two 20-foot containers. We've been very lucky to be able to land those at the Vodafone Event Centre space. Um, they've kindly given us some some courtyard space to have our two containers. And um, uh, it's two stations. So two businesses can operate there at a time. And like I mentioned, you know, we have all of the equipment needed to help scale up the business. And that's the same in our West Auckland location as well. Um, I think, as you mentioned, you know, being a big barrier to entry, having that available at a subsidised cost, which is what the Kitchen Project allows, is a big, um, a big changing element in a lot of these small businesses. You know, it allows them to do something which maybe they not maybe didn't have the funds to achieve, or um, the. I guess you need to have that confidence as well to take that next step of of moving into a commercial kitchen, starting up this business, and really scaling up. Mm. Um, and this sort of allows you to do that at a lower cost and lower risk. Yeah. So having started a business from home, I've not done it in New Zealand. I've done it in India. I think what you're talking about here is that having that kitchen built for scale right from the start is such a huge plus point because I remember starting, you know, cooking food in like the small saucepans I had at home and my first investment from like the first few sales that I did was, you know, just buying bigger saucepans and like buying a 10 liter pressure cooker and oh my god that blew my mind when I could just cook all the orders the first time around and didn't have to you know cook it three times because Mm. my pan wasn't big enough (laughs) so it was just something as simple as that and I remember when I partnered up with my business partner she was also coming from a home kitchen background and I was like no 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 go buy the big pan (laughs) first and even that is just you know, it's an incredible insight to have because I went from spending six hours in my home kitchen to spending three hours because I only had to make that batch once. Yeah. You know, Definitely. and then also being so one is that kind of built for scale. And then the other part is the amazing part for me is that your kitchen has that equipment because that's another barrier to entry. Right. Like, I mean, you may be able to get a commercial kitchen. Maybe you can make a deal with your local cafe and use their kitchen in the night or, you know, you're going to your community center and using it. But those kitchens aren't built for the kind of work you need to be doing. So, again, you're compromising. You know, you might end up, I don't know, using your food processor at home rather than using the commercial grade. That's affecting your product. Um, Definitely. Yeah, like another thing I remember when we moved to my commercial kitchen from my home kitchen, and that was a huge shift having to do that later than having to do it at the start because I had to change all my recipes. We went from like a small burner Mm. to having a high-pressure gas burner, and that meant all the cooking times had changed, so everything that I thought I had standardized no longer bloody worked because (laughs) I had to like do it all again and train my staff again and be like, no, just because the stove goes at full heat we are not going to cook like that because that burns everything yeah but you know it's just i think having the right facilities with the right equipment right at the start is just that huge advantage Mm. that you get um 
you know, and you're not kind of spending those initial months when you should be, you know, just spending that perfecting your product. You're not kind of spending that figuring out all this. Exactly. So I think to me personally, being an entrepreneur who has worked in both kind of spaces, that's the biggest advantage. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So I think another thing, um, Sreshta, each intake, you guys only take like six to eight businesses. How many do you have that typically apply? And how do you go about, like, what do you look for when you're choosing your cohort? Yeah. Uh, so we usually have about maybe 15 to 20 businesses that apply. And um, the way we look at or the way we select the process of selection, so we do an initial interview. And in that interview, that's kind of the place where we try to to understand the business readiness of of that entrepreneur. So one of the main things we require is that the product is ready and and good to go and we feel that um, is commercialisable and, you know, scalable. Um, So that's the main thing we look for, so the product readiness. And provided that product readiness is there and the drive, I think, of the entrepreneur to actually get that business up and running – um, there, you know, we, we support with that business foundation. So, you know, you don't need to have that food control plan or that business plan or any of that. You need to have a product which you're happy with, which we also believe in. Yeah. And then the rest is just about putting in the hard yards to get your product off the ground and into market. Um, and I think that's something that we support with and allow to happen. Um the other element of our program as to why we only take between six to eight businesses is that peer support network. So I think one of the realities of running a business is that it can be quite lonely and doing That's something so yourself. True. Yeah, it's quite yeah. lonely. Yeah. And especially, I mean, because you may not hire your first employees for like two years no. and you're kind of doing everything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You have to be everything. You have to be your marketer. You have to be your finance person. You know, you're everything. Um, so I think one of the biggest advantages of the program is being with, you know, five other people that are going through the exact same thing mm-hmm. as you. Yeah. And um, they're there to support you. Like you can ask them questions. You know, you're you're all doing work in different areas and you're all supporting each other with those different areas. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits of the Kitchen Project, which I don't even think we expected when we started out. That's so true. Like now hearing you say that, I'm like, actually, yes. that's That's been yeah. a, a really big... Um, yeah, it's been a great support having being able to go into um, you know our sessions and say, hey, what did you guys do for this? I'm not sure, and almost someone's got an answer every time. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, with the support network that you talk about, the other advantage. I mean, I've not been at the Kitchen Project, but um, I have been through another kind of startup leadership similar kind of program. Mm. And the key takeaway for me from that was the accountability. It was like. You know, it can be really hard. You said like it's one is that you're lonely, but it's also like you're your own boss. So kind of you're obviously really excited about it in the first six months. But those levels drop, you know, after six months, you're like, right, what do I have to do today again? Like, am I doing accounting? Am I doing marketing? What am I doing? Mm. So having that kind of network who holds you accountable, it's just like I'm meeting these same people again next week. I've told them that I'm going to make this flyer. So it's it's just like, I, I guess, like being in the office, right? Like yeah. if you've told someone you're going to do it, you normally... You better um, do it. <laughs> you normally end up doing it because yeah. you don't want to look bad. So, um, 
yeah. Did you find that experience happen to you? Yeah, absolutely. And um, like Shrestha would help out, um, make us like a sort of timeline. Yeah. So it gave you a bit of guidance because you were like, okay, I've done that. Like, where do I go now? Yeah. And she's like, well, right here. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. You just sort of go to these meetings again and then get that confidence back of like, I'm on the right track. Like, or this is where I could go to next or maybe I'm ready for, you yeah. know, that next step. So it's it's amazing. And tell us about how, how was your interview? Tell me, like, what memories do you have from that first interview? And <laughs> what did you take there? Um, did they eat all the food or not? <laughs> so it was like in a big... Um, you know, like in a big board meeting table. So yeah. it was quite intimidating when you walked in, it was like sitting against, like with a panel. Yeah. But they were actually so lovely. And it was just like a conversation, really. Um, it was it was actually really relaxed. And mm. yeah, I took in a few samples and got some good feedback and came out feeling really confident, sort mm. of thinking when I got there, what, what am I doing? Is, is Am I ready for this? So yeah, no, it was, it was, it was really chill, actually. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's that's awesome. And have you like come up with new products since then, or like because I saw on your website you're saying that you started with the raw slices. Yeah. And I actually saw on your Facebook page you now do like Buddha bowls and other things. Yeah, so. I've tried sort of some plant based meals, mm-hmm. um, and they are doing quite well. Um, yeah, just experimenting. Um, learning learning as I go as well of like different ingredients you can use and I mean I recently got some um, banana blossoms which Mm -hmm. you can actually um, blend up and like crumb and fry like a piece of fish so those kind of ideas have been yeah (laughs) have been yeah it's been really interesting sort of figuring out different ways to eat food you might not have first of all ever seen before yeah. or you might have always e- eaten one particular way and now you're kind of changing yeah yeah the way you're eating it that's amazing i'm just um so i come from a community where it's like we are very meat heavy and so right. eating meat and eggs is really celebrated yeah and if you're kind of vegetarian you i mean it's changing now but <laughs> it's almost like you're vegetarian like you don't eat eggs like so i did a podcast before this one and I public, publicly admitted I didn't eat eggs and like the person who was next to me was like you don't eat eggs like he was really offended so I guess what I'm trying to say there is that this is so new for me like learning that like what you said around the banana blossoms you know yeah. you can get it to replicate something that yeah. looks like fish and since I moved here as well like I'm getting to taste all these like plant-based products that are not necessarily still available in India mm. And it's amazing. I think I had someone else on the show telling me you could, um, you know, use the broccoli stalks. And that ends up actually, uh, once you roast it, it kind of looks and tastes a little bit, gets the meaty kind yeah. of uh, feeling and replaces your need to eat meat in, yeah. in like a gravy. And I was like, oh, I've just been like chucking this in the rubbish. Yeah. So what's your kind of vision with um, a little, uh, with your little plant pantry? Um. I, I'd i like to um, get my product into some cafes. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to um, see some plant-based options in cafes, and I think there is a need for it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an avenue I'd, I'd like to try. Okay. Um, I'm kind of open to new opportunities. Um, yeah. For me, that side of things is a little bit hard because I know that I just want to cook, and I love cooking. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm... I'm really open to giving anything a go. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. And I think part of this, what you were saying around the learning and unlearning, yeah. that's the key part, right? And I think that's something where Sreshta, your program comes in as well, I guess, is about normalizing that you're not going to know yeah. uh, what, what you're going to do, you know? Like you might want to do X thing when you start and you'll come out the program doing something completely different. Yep, very true. Or um, still yeah. just continuously experimenting. And you, I mean, that's what to. big businesses mm. do. So I don't know why we think um, that, you know, you're just going to do this thing and that's what you'll do your, for the rest of your business life. But somehow that's how it's marketed. Um, you know, yeah. and just kind of coming to terms with, oh, that's like, it's fine to not know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's so important that you, you don't because you need to be adaptable, right? You need to be able to pivot. You need to be responsive to the market. And mm. it's all those elements that make up a good business as well. So, mm. so it's, it's really important to have those. So, Srisha, tell me, I mean, to me, this sounds like an amazing program and I'm so amazing, like I'm so happy that I stumbled across it. But does something like this exist in other New Zealand cities? Is this something that, are you guys building a structure which could be, you know, kind of lifted and shifted? Yes, sort of. <laughs> I don't have a full answer for this, but um, to go back to uh, your first part of your question, so I, as far as I know, in New Zealand, I haven't seen anything similar. Mm. Um, the idea behind our program, you know, it's not meant to be school. It's meant to be something that these businesses come to because they want to be there, they want to learn, and they want to be empowered to achieve this on their own. But, you know, to me, I mean, it's interesting that you say it's not school because I feel like this needs to be a module in a hospitality program. I mean, mm. you know, like I moved here with my mum. She agreed to move here because I really wanted to study hospitality. So we moved countries so that yeah. I would have that opportunity. And while it was a great program, when I did, nothing like this existed. Like I came out with a degree and while I went in thinking like I wanted my own business, when I came out, it just felt like this was something that was too hard and too like, you know, I might, I, might, I should do it after a few years mm -hmm. you know while this what you guys are doing is just so practical i mean just look how far you've got in 26 weeks like would you imagine that like no you know? like i'm i literally have a business yeah. I, I was just in my kitchen like oh these are fun to make and now i'm like <laughs> i have a business it's crazy and i think i mean i'm not saying that every hospitality student is you know kind of ready to do that but it feels to me that we're training hospitality students to become front and back of house mm. at other yeah. hospitality institutions and there almost needs to be a module which kind of tells you like hey if you want to do your own thing here's how you do it yeah you know definitely I mean you do learn these things I learned about marketing and I learned about revenue and blah 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 but I remember AUT has this kind of co-op thing which you do at the last last semester where you go work in a company mm -hmm. I learned more in those three months than I did in the three and a half years I was at uni mm. so. very true yeah the practical element is really necessary eh, to, yeah. to give you those skills mm. and I think one of the other things you t spoke about which we haven't touched upon, is the ongoing mentoring, right, Srishta? So how does that work as part of the program? Yeah, so how we structure our program is our first sort of induction phase, which is six weeks long as a business foundation. And then the second part of the program is meant to be an opportunity for our businesses to really grow, scale, you know, start doing markets, start selling product and, and getting themselves out there. And at that point in time, um, you know, that's a good 
opportunity for them to pair with a one-on-one mentor, which is something that we um, we do based on how like what we think will be a good fit for that business and. Um, the idea behind that is that at that point, hopefully that business understands where they want to go enough that a mentor will actually be quite useful to them and quite um, supportive and have the ability to really help. Because I think it needs to be a mutually beneficial relationship. And if a business is still quite new and unsure of um, where you know where their goal is or where they're heading, it can be quite difficult for a mentor to support. That's true. So that's kind of, we, it's, it's about achieving that balance again. You yeah. know, we need to have, um, we still meet with all of our entrepreneurs fortnightly. We do one-on-one sessions with them. So it's the touch points are always there and we're preparing them for that. So mm. do you still do that with people that have kind of graduated out of the program? Like, are they still, I mean, I, obviously you're not going to do it um, as intensely, but is there still the opportunity for people to be like, oh, let me call Sreshta or let me call someone else who was in the program and just ask them what they're doing? Yeah, definitely. So all of our entrepreneurs themselves, as I said, you know, build that peer support, but definitely have the opportunity to come to us and ask us any questions whenever they want. Um, as, as we're still relatively young in, yeah. <laughs> in our program. Yeah, that probably <laughs> will change once you like, I don't know, have 500 people through. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> At the moment, it's still easy to have those touch points and that constant communication because, you know, we're managing maybe 30 to 40 people. But you're right, once we get to that higher number, it's going to be a little bit harder. So the idea is for us to implement a bit more of an alumni strategy so that we can support our alumni um, while still having, you know, regular meetups rather than having it so ad hoc. Um, something we're still working on, but yeah. <laughs> watch this space. Well, I definitely think it's important because, I mean, you know, I was reading a stat which says that a lot of people dream to own a restaurant, but one in three fails at the two or three year mark. And then more than 60, like almost 60 percent fail at like the six year mark. Mm. So, I mean, yes, you need that initial support and I'm sure you um, appreciate it, Tirana, but I would love to have that. And I think it's great, right, to, to just have that kind of emotional thing at the back of your head that, hey, if I'm lost, yeah. I can go have a chat with that person. Definitely. You don't need to be like, they don't need to be a therapist, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. at least they're kind of there to nudge you back into yeah. onto the right path. So, Terina, what would you say to someone that's sitting on the fence about starting a business now that, you know, you've gone through this program? Uh, join the kitchen project (laughs) Um, but no definitely give it a go you know it's not actually as scary as you think yeah there is actually a lot of resources out there there's a lot of help there's grants available Um, yeah just give it a go Um, I think New Zealand's a pretty cool place to um, I think Kiwis are really supportive of small businesses and local businesses so yeah, I'd say definitely just just give it a go. You'd rather have try and not regret not doing it later on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think when as in more and more as I talk to people who are in the hospitality uh, industry, often their success is not the first thing that they did. You know, so it's also about kind of being like okay, either like the pivoting or just being like, okay, no, that didn't work, but that's not going to mean I'm not going to do something in food Mm. like I remember I spoke to someone and it's literally it was like he was in a relationship with the business because he'd like he'd do something in food quit go back to insurance and then back na 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 come back do something in food quit Um, but I think it's about yeah just kind of being that you know and so many people who 
own food businesses are so passionate about yeah. food surely that's the reason why we're all doing <laughs> it because yeah. there's no sure. billion dollar pot lying no. in here somewhere no. <laughs> yeah and just to touch upon Sreshta as we wrap up um at the start you kind of touched upon this where you said that communities in West Auckland and you know Monaco have previously only had fast food chains and not really had local restaurants or local entrepreneurs that they can support do you feel like that lockdown has changed that like you know there's a lot of call now for eat local and support your local entrepreneur what do you feel Terena and Sreshta so I think you're right. I think um, the support local, eat local thing is really catching on. I think yeah. a lot of people are doing it. Mm. I know for myself, like I really miss going to the markets and now they're all starting to pick up. It's just nice to, it's a nice thing to do with your family on the weekend, go out there and yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's almost like you appreciate it more, right? You do. Yeah. You really do. Definitely. And like just going for like a not homemade coffee and yeah. stuff like that is really nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you feel, Sreshta? Do you feel that the lockdown has changed things? Will that will that kind of almost bring more attention to the local entrepreneurs in these communities? I, I really hope so. I mean, I think we are definitely seeing more of that. And I think it's also just that accessibility, right? You know, you can always get something local. Um, and COVID has definitely shown us that it can be difficult when borders close and whatnot that with, with supply and demand. Mm. Um, so, and I think we are exactly as Trina said, you know, now that now that the markets are starting up again, the amount of people going to them, you know, it's just increasing and that's fantastic. It's, mm. They all want to support, they all want to see what's out there and, and make, you know, keep our local economy up and running, which is vital. Yeah. I went to Clevedon, I think like two weekends ago, and they were slammed, like yeah. the guys there. They were just all like, oh my God, we've like <laughs> never cooked for these many people because it was just so crowded. Mm. I think people are just so kind of happy that you exactly. can go out yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sick of eating my own food. <laughs> I hope it stays up there. Yeah. Like, let's keep that up. <laughs> cool. So just as we wrap up, now we're going to do my favorite section of the show, which is called Fast Food 5. So I'm going to ask you five fast questions about food who wants to go first I will okay okay Okay. you ready yeah okay first question your favorite cuisine when it comes to takeout oh um probably burgers and chips yeah (laughs) the one thing that you must always have in your kitchen um veggies veggies Oh, that's that's really healthy. <laughs> Someone who makes raw slices. <laughs> if you were a vegetable, then which one would you be? Uh, cucumber. Cucumber. That's nice. That I've, I haven't had that one yet. Okay, salt or sugar? What would you rather give up? Salt. Salt. Yeah. Rather give up salt. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that's hard. Okay. And favorite place to eat in Auckland? Oh. Um. You can say your own self. It's fine to sing your own praises. <laughs> um, I love, I actually really love Burger Burger. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I think, I mean, Auckland has just developed so many amazing burger places. It's, yeah, I love a good burger. Yeah. And there's just, it's so amazing to see so many mm. nice burger chains opening up. Yeah. And they all do like something different, you know? Yeah. Which is what I like. So I'm kind of over... 
fine dining. I feel like every time I go, it's always like, oh, there's steak and there's one fish dish and then there's roast chicken. And yeah, <laughs> well, there's at least more variety yeah. in the burger scene. Definitely. Okay, yeah. your turn now, Swishta. Oh, gosh. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, your favorite cuisine when it comes to takeout? Thai. Thai. Oh, I love a good Thai. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what do you like, a curry or pad thai? Oh, I'm definitely a pad thai kind of girl. <laughs> yeah. I, I love my curry. Okay, one thing you must always have in your kitchen. Oh, I'm thinking coffee. <laughs> That's a yeah. good one. Coffee is a good one. If you were a vegetable, which one would you be? Broccoli. Broccoli, yeah. Very versatile. Yeah. <laughs> and salt or sugar, what would you rather give up? Oh, probably salt as well, actually, I think. <laughs> yeah, cook, I how will you cook your food without salt? Not either. <laughs> okay, and favourite place to eat in Auckland? At any of my entrepreneurs' places. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, but also, most Mediterranean, like I'm loving Gamezi Street at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for coming onto the show. It's been great chatting with you, learning more about the Kitchen Project and learning more about your journey, Terena. And I wish you all the best. And hopefully we'll see your food in all the cafes or maybe your own cafe. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.